How do you deal with hard passages in the Bible? Difficult doctrines, topics that are cumbersome to, to handle. First of all, did you know that the Bible contains verses, paragraphs that are difficult? The reason this is important to ask ourselves is because the way that a person deals with difficult passages, difficult to understand teachings of the Bible, says a lot about his or her spiritual health. In fact, there are many heavy weights in Scripture. There are passages in the Bible that are like heavy rocks. And too many people approach these rocks, and after one attempt at lifting, unable to get those rocks off the ground, we get frustrated. In fact, sometimes people just walk away to never return back to that heavy rock. In fact, some people have even gotten so frustrated with those passages, those topics and doctrines, that in arrogance, they might even claim, no one can lift that rock. It is unliftable. The author of Hebrews is about to teach on one of these very difficult, complicated topics. What are these heavy rocks? But before he does that, he needs to deal with an issue that these Hebrews are facing. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Hebrews chapter 5. We're about to open into a new section uh, that starts in chapter 5, verse 11, and it goes through chapter 6, verse 12. I'm just going to read this whole section. And while today we're only going to deal with about four verses, this whole section needs to be considered to see what it is that the author is about to tell us. That's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 6, 12. That's actually what we're going to be today. I'll read that out loud. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name 
in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Lord, this is a very important passage for us today. We need to be reminded by the very same correction, rebuke that's being offered to the Hebrew audience here. Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would, we would hear these things and receive them, that we would grow from them, we would learn from them. Father, help us to be challenged by this word. Prepare our hearts for hard teachings. Prepare our hearts for the difficult passages of the Bible. Father, for those who are not believers who will ever hear this, I pray that you will open their hearts with the power of your spirit, that they may understand what would not otherwise be able to be understood. Lord, do that mighty work, we ask, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This passage began with verse 11, where the author says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. That's how he begins. About this we have much to say. So what is the this that this author is talking about? Well, in the previous passage, the author began teaching about Jesus as our great high priest. And he just introduced his audience to the mysterious Old Testament character, Melchizedek, who lived in the days of Abraham. Now, our author is going to pick right where he left off. He's going to pick up right where he left off in chapter 6, verse 13. But he takes a 16-verse hiatus to interrupt the flow of his argument in order to rebuke his audience, in order to offer a correction to some error that he perceives in the people who will be reading what it is that he writes. So what is he about to teach on? He's about to teach on something that's pretty complicated. That's one of those heavy rocks, to use that illustration I offered to begin with. And we know that because he said it's, it's hard to explain. What I'm going to tell you is something that quite genuinely is hard to explain. And so, of course, not only is it hard to explain, as he says, but he expects that, therefore, it'll be hard for them to understand. So while what he's about, he about to teach on is complicated, it should still be fully attainable to his audience. But he is concerned that they will not be able to understand as they ought. Now, by this point in the letter, you may have been able to sniff out, if you, if you were to read Hebrews 1 through 5.11, just read straight through it, you probably would have been able to sniff out that the author is concerned for his audience. He has a kind of concern, and this concern has led him to continually warn the people over and over with pretty big warnings. I want to show you a few of these warnings, because while he's not yet come out and just stated the problem that they have, these specific warnings give us some clues as to what it is that he's concerned about. So let me remind you just a few of them. I'm just going to show you five of his warnings so far. I'll do that quickly. Oh. The first one is in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In Hebrews 3, 8, he says, Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. 
In Hebrews 3.12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The last one I'll show you right now is in chapter 4, verse 11, which says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So what is it about these Hebrews that makes him particularly worried that they might fall away, that they might harden their hearts, that they might fail to reach God's rest, etc., all these warnings that he's offering. There's something about them that he has perceived, that somehow he's observed or experienced, he knows about, that is leading him to warn them to not do these things. What is it about this Hebrew audience? So far, he's not quite yet said. But in this chapter, right here in chapter 5, verse 11, he finally just straight up tells us what it is that he's observed that makes him concerned. It's right here. Since you have become dull of hearing. You see that? So there's an implication to the things he's concerned about so far. Now he finally says, this is an error of yours. They haven't fallen away yet. They haven't hardened their hearts yet. He's concerned they might because they have become dull of hearing. I have so much I want to tell you, but I'm concerned you won't hear it. In fact, some of the things I want to tell you might be kind of difficult to manage. We're going to have to dig deep, and I'm going to have to press you on some things, but you have become dull of hearing. Their dull hearing makes him concerned that these Hebrews will be just like so many Hebrews who went before them. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 2, because we have to ask the question, what is dull hearing? Well, that word hearing shows up all over the New Testament in many different places. Nearest here is chapter 4, verse 2. Look at what it said there. For good news came to us, the the, the Christians he's writing to in, in his day, but the message they heard did not benefit them. So the message came to the modern Christians, the Christians in in this author's day, but the message that they, those Old Testament Israelites heard, did not benefit them. That's the same word for hearing, that heard there. It didn't benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Remember, we walked through this not not long ago as we went through this chapter 4 of Hebrews. But the idea is that they heard the words, they heard the message, they heard gospel truth. Good news to people in this Old Testament day. But why did it not have a positive effect on them? Because they did not believe it. Words hitting the eardrum were not the problem. It wasn't that they weren't within earshot. They heard, but they didn't believe. The ears heard, but the heart did not respond. So first, let's contrast dull hearing with sharp hearing. What's the opposite of the dull hearing? Sometimes it's easier to see the error when you kind of see it in in the light of what's right. What is sharp hearing? All throughout the whole New Testament, hearing is married up with belief. In fact, sometimes it's just assumed that when he says hearing, one of the New Testament authors, hearing, it's assumed that hearing with belief is there. But other times it kind of gives us a specific. It makes it clear that hearing with faith is important. Consider Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. 
Consider Galatians 3.2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? John 5.24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So it wasn't just the hearing. It was the hearing plus belief that produces the saving Faith that produces salvation in the heart of a person. Sharp hearing is accompanied by belief. It's accompanied by faith. Sharp hearing believes. Dull hearing, then, is hearing that is not accompanied by belief. I want you to consider. We've said many times before in this series in Hebrews that the primary audience that the author has in mind is believers. In fact, the verses we're walking through today are some of the most key to clarifying them. You ought to be teachers, he's about to say in the next verse, in verse 12. You ought to be teachers. Why? You're believers. You already heard all this stuff. You know. You know intuitively. You, you have believed. He's counting them as believers. You know better than to disbelieve. So I want you to consider what that means. It is possible for a person to have a sufficient belief in the fundamentals of the gospel to be saved and still struggle with unbelief. In fact, the Old Testament Israelites are the prime example of this, are they not? They believed in God, but they didn't believe that he could actually give them the promised land. That's what's going on in this chapter that he was Warning them with chapter 4. So what might this look, for, look like for us? What might it look like for a believer in our day to be a, a, a Christian? They have saving faith in Jesus, and yet there's a kind of unbelief that invades their thoughts and their hearts. Well, ask yourself this. When, when you read a verse that upon first reading does not appear to agree with the view that you and your modern tribe hold, what's your gut reaction? Is your gut reaction, maybe we're wrong. Maybe that view that I have, maybe that assumption that I have is wrong because it says here, something that looks different. There are so many churchgoers today who are more skeptical of the writings of Paul than they are of their favorite blogger. Well, surely that can't be real. Surely that can't be for us. Surely that was not intended for us to still believe thousands of years later. This happens all the time. That is dull hearing. A believer can have dull hearing. A believer can be, can be saved and then read certain parts of the Bible and go, but I, I can't, I don't believe that. There's all kinds of ways that we can get around believing texts. I, I want to make this even clearer because it's really easy for us to go, there's only, there's only, it's really easy for us to polarize this. It's really easy to go, listen, you either believe every single thing without question or concern, or you believe nothing. It's easy for us to just do that, to polarize this issue. 
But even the Bible tells us about believers who struggle with unbelief somewhere in their thinking. I want to show you another place that says this in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Look what, look what Peter writes. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So what's he starting with? He's talking to believers. You who have faith, take that foundational saving faith that you have and supplement, add to that faith what? Virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a believer begins with faith, saving faith. That's what makes a person a believer. And that may be all that that believer has to start with. But Peter encourages the believer to add to that faith. But if a believer does not add those things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, affection, the believer does not add to those things, what should that believer expect? Ineffectiveness. A kind of unfruitfulness. The point is that when a Christian becomes dull of hearing, First, at the very least, he or she is prone to disbelieve things that are in the Bible. Now, I want to flip the, flip the coin. There's, there's kind of two sides to this coin. This side is the heavy warning, rebuke, admonition part. I want you to look at the other side of this coin for a second. This means that perfect, untainted belief is not a prerequisite for eternal life. What's required? A simple saving faith. The faith of a child. You, you see that? You and I believing everything perfectly without error is not the prerequisite. This is why Christians will have differing views on things. Not because there isn't a truth. Not because everybody, truth doesn't matter or everyone has a little part. But because you and I have error in our thinking, praise be to God that he's not waiting for all of our beliefs to align perfectly with reality in order for us to be saved. That's the other beautiful side of this. The gospel tells us that it is belief that is required. You and I are sinners. We need a perfect, righteous Savior. We cannot have forgiveness of our sins apart from Jesus. And the simplicity of our gospel can be heard and understood by children. And it has always been that way. So, I want you to ask yourself for a moment, how do you hear the word? Jesus issued a similar warning that our author is issuing right here. The warning is implicit here, right? He says, you have become dull of hearing. He doesn't want them to be dull of hearing. He said, you have become dull of hearing. Jesus warned people of the same error. He said, he who has ears, let him hear. In Luke 8, 18, Jesus even says, take care then how you hear. You and I need to put ourselves in a steady flow of truth. We need to be eager to trust God's word. 
We need to pay special attention to the teaching and to the passages that challenge our flesh. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, I want to read this to you. This is, this is talking about the error that people will fall into. Paul is warning people of this error in 2 Timothy. Listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening. That's the same word that's hearing in our passage here. Turn away from listening, hearing the truth, and wandering off and wander off into myths. Oftentimes people don't believe because they don't want to believe. Oftentimes people believe lies because they want to believe lies. And while this is foundational, hearing with a wrong kind of skepticism of the truth of the Bible is certainly a dull kind of hearing. This idea of dull hearing implies much more than just believing what is being said or not believing what is being said. And that becomes clear as the author continues his rebuke. Look at the next verse in our, our passage today. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So, so what does the author have in mind? He believes that these people ought to be able to teach, and they're not. He's upset with them for not being at a point that they should be. He expects them to be more mature than they are. Now, this doesn't mean they're all called to be preachers. This doesn't mean they're all called to lead their respective Bible studies. But quite simply, that they should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that they have. And instead of being able to teach these basic principles of the gospel, they need somebody to teach them again. They go back to the basics again. And again, the basic principles. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So obviously, it's been taught to them already. Obviously, it's truth and it's good. And obviously, that's going to be the correction to the error that they're currently in. Let's go back to the beginning. This is a little bit like Vince Lombardi's, this is a football. Starting point speech again. You know, the word used here for basic principles can be used to refer to the alphabet. It's the starting point for when learning to read. Okay, stop, go back to the alphabet, go back to the basics, to the ABCs of the Christian faith. Dull hearing means that they will not understand what he wants to tell them. It will not make sense to them. These Hebrews have become unreceptive to the things that are hard to explain. Now, what might this look like for a Christian today? Perhaps it could look like the Christian who refuses to read and consider difficult passages in the Bible. Perhaps it could be, like I said, but those heavy rocks. A person who says, forget it, heavy rock can't be lifted. Hard passages are implied here, aren't they? He wants to teach them something that he knows it's going to be hard for them to understand. They should be able to understand it. How many of them? All of them should be able to understand this. This is a point of frustration for the author. The Christian who says all we need is the gospel, which is true. If they mean by that, 
That's all we need to be saved. But it is such an error to neglect the many other parts of the Bible that have so much to enrich us with. You know, this is a beautiful thing. When I moved to Utah, I'd never skied before. And after arriving, a, a friend of mine was on his way moving out of state. And he goes, here, you can have my skis. I'm going to a warmer climate. So I, I got his skis and I started skiing up in the mountains. I haven't skied a lot. I started out on the little green slopes to try to, try to learn. I fell down a million times and kept getting back up. And I stayed on the greens for a long time. That's the easiest level of skiing for a long time. And saw tons and tons of acreage and miles of beautiful places and, and the mountains up there that are just glorious. But as I continued to, to learn and to grow in my, my ability to ski, I started skiing on the next level up, the blue squares, and then the double blue squares, and eventually the black diamonds. And you know what? There is so much out there that I would not have seen and experienced and enjoyed and loved if I just stayed on the green slopes the entire time. I've known believers who have intentionally decided to not read the book of Revelation anymore. Because it's hard. I've known others who have observed doctrinal arguments between fellow believers. And even observed those arguments get ugly. And because of that, they decided to not study those hard passages. Because they just lead to argument. That's dull of hearing. Don't you see that this would be like a man who marries his bride but then refuses to grow in his knowledge and understanding of her. I know her well enough. That man deserves to be rebuked, just like these Hebrew Christians. You need milk, not solid food. This is a rebuke. This isn't like, oh, this is just the prescription. Listen, you need milk, not solid food. Why am I still bringing milk to you? That's what this author is saying, right? We should not have to go back over this stuff as though you don't know it. Jesus said this in a similar way to Nicodemus in John 3. You are a teacher of Israel and you don't get this stuff? The basics of the gospel? You don't get this? It's a similar kind of admonition, isn't it? You need milk, not solid food. The author says this with a sense of exasperation. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with milk, Right? In fact, milk is necessary for the one who seeks growth. He's going to revisit it. You have to go back. He's not like, milk is wrong, get rid of milk. No, 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 no. no. You have to go back to start with milk again because milk is good. This metaphor of milk being fed to a baby in order for that baby to grow is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at this. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Why? for you are still of the flesh. Do you see the two things here? First, Paul fed them with this milk. It was truth. It was good. It was necessary. It was the alphabet to understand fully all the rest. Milk is good. Now, if there's anyone here who feels triggered by this language when you hear that phrase, milk, not solid food, milk, not meat, it may be because you've experienced this being used as a strategy to obscure the truth. That is not at all what's going on here or in our Hebrews passage today. There are no hidden doors in Christianity behind which you're going to find secret doctrines. 
You're not going to move on to find that the alphabet was wrong all along. We had a we had a visiting team in this last week, and one of the things they helped us do, just a whole bunch of little projects, is one of the things, they, they, their team went through our websites just to make sure that all the links were working and gave us a list of stuff we need to improve on just to make sure that um, that big project could be managed well. And one of the things that they found interesting that they hadn't noticed before is that, man, you, have, you guys have like the section on your website that deals with these really hard topics, like all the ones that are the hot-button issues, seems like today. Why do you do that? And I was asked that straight up. Why do you put those right on the website? Because we want everyone to know there is nothing to hide. We put the stuff that we know the world will find the least palatable right up in front of everyone. We have nothing to hide. One of the things I love about our church, and I just I think it's so wonderful about the people at our church, we can ask anything about anything with each other. I love that. But how are we going to help one another when we deal with those hard things? We're first going to make sure that the foundation is laid. You know your alphabet. We're first going to make sure that you've been properly nourished on milk. Milk is good. So you can see both here and in our text in Hebrews, milk is not intended, though, to be the sole source of nourishment needed to grow a believer. Paul says here that the reason for their inability to digest solid food is that they are still of the flesh. You see that? Your flesh, your natural self, your sin nature is a hindrance to your spiritual growth. Your resistance to a growing trust in and knowledge of God's word is built into you. You are naturally inclined to resist the truths of the Bible. Your default disposition towards these passages then is distrust and even to neglect reading those things. And this is exactly what this author is dealing with. I want, I want you to grow. I want you to know. I want you to advance and mature in your faith. But I can't even teach you these things. He continues on. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. If you're new to the faith, this is exactly where you should be. This should be you. This isn't bad. This is supposed to be a person as they start developing foundations of truth, understanding the basics of the faith, my, God's creation, my sin, the fact that I need a Savior, Jesus' perfection, his death and his resurrection, belief in him as the only way to have peace with God. But that means that you are not yet skilled in the word of righteousness. Children of the faith. Now, if you cannot get your minds in the place, and you realize that the author is not talking about physical maturity, this might be confusing to you or frustrating or even sound belittling to you. But it's so important to make sure you see this as spiritual maturity. A person can be 90 years old and spiritually immature or 20 years old and spiritually mature. This illustration is not intended to be belittling, but in order to get people on the right trajectory. 
solid food is for the mature. This author wants his audience to be mature. That's what he wants for them. He's not holding it down like, you just trust the mature ones. He's saying, no, mature, grow already so you can teach these things. You see that, don't you? This isn't an intention. This isn't a design by some upper-level leadership in a hierarchy that we are the ones who can know this truth. You can't possibly just follow us. No, it's all of y'all. Come on, let's grow. You need to be able to teach these things. You need to understand these things. What does it mean to be mature? Honestly, I don't think this is hard. I think you all understand what this means. If you have a hard question to ask someone about the Bible, are you more likely to ask your Christian friend who has been an evidently growing believer for the last 30 years or your neighbor who came to Christ in the last couple weeks? Obviously, like in any other area of life, you're going to go to the person that you've you've watched, you've observed them demonstrate growth and knowledge and understanding, and that's where you're going to go because we all know what this means intuitively. The word for mature here is elsewhere rendered perfect or full. It has the sense of being complete. Now, this doesn't in any way mean that the author expects for his audience to be complete, like final. They don't have any more growth to have. They're finished growing as a Christian. Obviously, that's not his intention. But he does expect them to no longer be children in the faith. He expects them to have reached maturity. And what you're going to see soon is that this author does not withhold the hard teaching. So he doesn't doesn't say this in rebuke and go, so therefore you don't get the hard teaching. No, he puts it right in. He takes this hiatus, he comes right back and he gives all that hard stuff. Nothing hidden, everything expected. In fact, he sets the bar high. I remember hearing and being trained about preaching that the average American only reads at a ninth grade reading level. And so therefore, make your sermons lower than that. I've also heard it on the spiritual side. Significant majority of people in our country don't really understand the gospel. So whatever you do, don't preach over their heads. Now, is there a kind of truth there that should certainly be understood? I, I think so. If it's totally unintelligible to an audience, it's not greatly helpful to them. But when we spend time in the Word, in Bible study, in sermons, in the songs that we sing, we should be stretching. We should be challenged by the stuff that's coming out. In fact, occasionally, there should be words that we don't quite yet understand that are being taught to us. That's a good thing to be trained, to be stretched, to be challenged. And it should happen day in and day out in our believing life. That is the practice he's about to talk about here. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This word for discernment here, right there, the powers of discernment trained, this is the only use of this word in the New Testament. It means an accurate perception of reality. That's what discernment is. To have an accurate perception of reality. In fact, some different uh, English translations will use the word faculty. Well, have their faculties trained, their senses, their capacity to understand, trained. How do you train your capacity to understand? Well, it says right there, by constant practice. He has solid food. 
He has solid food that he longs to give to them. But they need discernment to understand, and they should have it by now. Now, I want, I want, I want to offer a quick caution before we go much farther. Just in case you might be thinking down a wrong path in what he's intending here. He is not talking about intellect. He's not talking about brain power or education. So do not cast this out as a charge given only to the theology geeks out there who like to nerd out over every little passage in the Bible. This is for all of us. He's not saying, well, there are some among you who may be able to attain to this level of maturity. He goes, all of you, all of you can get this. All of you, from every level of understanding and education and background and experiences, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to attain to this kind of maturity, to train our powers of discernment to grow in this way. Do you get that? This is so important that this is not just seen as a practice for the super intellects out there. I'm often reminded when I spend time with other Christians talking about doctrine, how just not intellectual I am. I spend time with guys like Aaron and Luke, and I go, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> if you've spent time with them, you know what I mean. I'm not like that. It takes me longer to get places. I read slower. But this challenge is for me. Not to go, well, that, well that, that, that's, that's, for, that's for those guys to have. Guys, this is for all of us to grow in. This is not just lists of knowledge. This is not just a list of facts that are interesting to know. What, what is it for? To distinguish good from evil. That's for all of us. That's for all the daily decisions that we have to make. That's for how we should process through right judgment and all the decisions we're going to have to make in our lives. The author expects all Christians to be able to attain to this kind of maturity. And you can train your discernment. It can be trained, just like a muscle, by constant practice. And just like a muscle, discernment can atrophy. It can, it can grow weak. And you know this, don't you? I, I bet... But some of you have felt this personally in your own lives in one area or another. Where a season has come in and the flesh has become more dominant than it ought to be and begins winning more of the flesh versus spirit battles than you'd hope to have been dealing with at this point in your life. And you know that your ability to understand and to discern things and to make sense of some of these hard passages that you run into in the Bible, they're tainted by that. Job 34.3, this is an interesting verse. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. You and I are to take in words and to read words and chew on them and to taste them and to test them out. And so doing, we train ourselves. Brothers and sisters, you got to rock a heavy, difficult something. You can't lift it. Oh, goodness, don't be the arrogant brother or sister who goes, well, then no one can lift it. No one can know. No one can lift that rock. That might not be at all true. 
Well, then how can you learn to deal with that? By constant practice. You strengthen your muscles. You spend time in the Word. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to, you have to kind of put stuff on the table to come back to later and be like, okay, I got to... This one, this one's this one's too heavy for me. I'm gonna have to keep lifting, keep getting stronger and stronger and growing so that I can come back and try to figure this one out. For what end? To distinguish good from evil. The ability to distinguish between good and evil may be a challenge. It may be hard to know what is right and what is wrong. It may be hard to distinguish between truth and error. And being able to do that is just so important for us that it's worth training for. How many times in your life have you had a hard question? Uh, God, I'm trying to decide between A or B. I just don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what's the right choice here. Lord, I, I hear conflicting things coming at me. I don't know how to deal with this. Lord, I read passages, and it's hard for me to square these two. I don't know how to do that. What do we do? We train, and we train, and we train. We expect that we're going to run into those difficult things. I want to I close our time this morning with, with one very specific encouragement that I think is the implication here. First, it's the warning. It's the warning. Do not be dull of hearing. Hear rightly. Hear by having your, your mind tuned in to the Word of God with a trust a distrust for self and a trust in the word. Pursue maturity. Maturity is attainable, not as a destination, but as a trajectory. It's not about where you are, like, well, I don't want to admit where I am. So what? Maybe you're younger in the faith. Maybe for a handful of reasons in your life, you should be more mature than you are right now but you're not. Have you noted today that the author does not just throw this up to hopelessness? There's no way to fix this. Ah! Close Hebrews, done. No. Okay. Going back to square one. If that's what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do it. And then, guys, we're only at chapter, end of chapter five. We have many chapters left to go. The author's not finished. He expects that we're going to get up. We're going to start learning. We're going to be able to understand what is coming, that we can train and prepare ourselves to do just that. It's not about where you are in your spiritual growth. It's about how you deal with God's word. That's going to define your trajectory. That's going to define how able you are now and in the future to distinguish good from evil. Don't you want to grow in wisdom? Don't you want to be the believer that someday others can come to you and say, I, I need counsel. Can you help me? Don't you want to be able to help others? Don't you want to be able to know God more? This admonition is placed here in order to offer up a rebuke to these hearers. And if this is to be applied to us, let us receive the rebuke. But however it is to be taken, wherever you are today, However you've thought through these things before, be encouraged to train, constantly practice in order to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Father, this morning I'm well aware that 
there is a kind of virus going around the Christian church today. And Lord, no, it's, of course, it's not a physical, a cold, flu kind of virus. I'm talking about a virus that invades the mind, that invades the heart, that, that causes believers to disbelieve your word, that causes believers to not pursue maturity, that interrupts our spiritual growth. Father, there is so much for us to see and to gain from these passages we're about to read. And how perfect that you inspired this author to pause right here, before we even get into the really hard stuff, the, 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 the stuff about Melchizedek and the great high priesthood and the, the covenants of Old and New Testament. Before we even get into that, Lord, there's a pause that we would be reminded, we can get this, we can understand this. Lord, thank you for that challenge. I pray that as a church, we would hold a couple things together right here, Lord. These are, these are my thoughts in my heart right now, Father, as I, I appeal to you on behalf of our church. Number one, Lord, help us to always, persistently, continually, urgently seek to grow in knowledge and understanding about your word. Help us to never avoid the hard things that are hard to explain. Father, let, let us never look away from them. Let us, let us go right at them. Let us be such truth seekers that we're not afraid to do that. But Lord, at the same time I offer that up, I ask for you to protect us against arrogance. Lord, keep us from thinking that there are classes of Christians and that we may be in a higher, better, upper class of believer. Lord, help us to always hate our own sin more than anyone else's. And Lord, if there would be a desire for us to grow in our knowledge and understanding about things in the Word, let those things be motivated, that desire to grow, be motivated by a love for you and a desire to know you more, and a love for people that we might be able to help others more. And Lord, let us not become prideful. Let us not try to just know more facts than others, the non-believers, or even, oh Lord, even other brothers and sisters in the faith. Help us to be so quick to, to join together with those in, in various levels of spiritual maturity and seek to grow together, Lord. Lord, shame the wisdom of the wise, even our own wisdom. Shame our wisdom as we search out the scriptures and see just how infinitely wise you are. Show us how great you are, Lord. Show us that any good and perfect gift that we've even received is only given to us because of you and your grace. Father, I eagerly seek these things. I ask that as the mission church, as we grow here in Salt Lake County, that we would be a kind of church that would do those two things with great humility, seek to glorify you as we strengthen one another and as we reach the lost. We love you, Lord, and ask you, please, please provide this for us in Jesus' good name. Amen.